metrics that matter, doing business in the UK versus NZ, the recruitment battle and how to win it. Those are some of the things we discussed when we caught up with the guys from Virtuoso a couple of months back. Welcome to episode five of Insights as a Service. All right then. So uh, Marcus uh, McIver, CEO of Virtuoso and Roman Palk. I hope I've pronounced that properly. Yeah. All right. Um, NZGM uh, of Virtuoso. Uh, so look, guys, I think that there's um, a lot of really interesting elements to your story. Uh, as I understand it, you started off in, in the UK. You're moving into New Zealand. You've um, got a track record of working together, I think, at, uh, at OneNet many, many moons ago. Um, we'll sort of get to, to where you are now and what you're doing now um, in a little bit. But maybe, Marcus, if, if I can sort of kick off with you, maybe just a bit about kind of how it all kicked off. Um, I think, as I understand it, you and I want to say Greg, is it Greg McCallum, the CTO, who was one of the co-founders? We, we actually all worked together with Roman actually uh, at OneNet many, many moons ago. <clears throat> Greg actually went to the UK, I think he's a couple of years before me. Um, and I went over 2010, just, uh, you know, like like many young Kiwis uh, going over to um, to the UK to uh, to do your big OE. Uh, we, I went to the UK, I think, you know, there, there, there weren't that many places that you could actually go and get a visa that easily. Uh, and um, back in those days, you could get a visa uh, into the UK. Uh, all that sort of changed now, although it's sort of coming back around full circle, circle again, which is pretty cool. Um, <clears throat> but I went across. What year um, are we talking here? What year did you go? So 2000 and, 2010. 2010. Um, and yeah, turned out there with a bunch of my mates and slept on some, some people's couches for a couple of months and, uh, and did that whole thing. And yeah, I mean, the UK was just, just awesome. You kind of get there and, um, I ended up getting a job pretty quickly, I think three or four weeks. And I, I managed to turn out a job with, um, at the time, the biggest Citrix reseller in, in the UK, or I think they were the original Citrix reseller and they'd grown, um, to be the biggest Citrix reseller. And yeah, I mean, just the scale of the companies and, you know, the, the size of the platforms and the technology that we're dealing with coming from coming from little old New Zealand was um, was quite stark. Um, but you know that really opened my eyes just to the to the scale of it. Well, was that the big big initial takeaway that you know when you compare the technology and you saw the I guess the the structures that you saw the difference between the MSP space and NZ the MSP space in the UK when you turned up was it simply the scale or was it more that they were utilizing tech in different and maybe you know more meaningful ways. Uh, well, I think in technology scale, you know, you know when you're working, the, the bigger things get in, in a funny sort of way, kind of the more interesting that they get. You know, if I think, think about the exposure that I'd had to technology in New Zealand, um, you know, a lot of the bits were the same, but just when, you know, we're talking about, you know, so much, so much bigger scale, it just kind of got, kind of got uh, more interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, with that scale came, came lots of complexity in terms of the technology, but also in terms of kind of the way that they operate, you know, over in the UK, everything's so sort of specialized, you know, everybody turned up and there's, you know, there's a storage guy and there's a network guy and there's a, there's a, there's an AD guy and there's a, um, and that, that, that just wasn't quite the same. And I think that's why Kiwis do quite well over there, you know, in technology and, and otherwise, just because you kind of, um, because you, you work in smaller environments, you kind of become more, um, you get a broader kind of view of, of how things work. Um, and so, and that enables you to be kind of a lot more sort of, you know, sort of cross, um, cross disciplined. Um, so yeah, so, so landed in 2010, um, ended up kind of reconnecting with, with, with Greg, um, uh, over a few beers, uh, and, uh, yeah, one thing led to another and, and eventually we decided, um, 
hey, you know, I think we can we can we can do a pretty good job of this in in the UK, and and, and we decided to uh, to found Virtuoso, and, and we founded that in in April of two thousand and eleven. So that's that to me is kind of insane. So you landed in two thousand ten, a year or maybe a year and a half later, you kicked off your own business. It, being in a country that you you didn't have deep roots in, you didn't necessarily have any sort of old boys network or any kind of, uh, you know, it wasn't like New Zealand where you probably knew most people in the industry or a lot of people in the industry felt you could walk into somewhere and probably know someone who knew someone. You got to a point pretty quickly where you felt that you not only had a point of difference to market yourself on, but you could also find a way to get into uh, you know, the places you wanted to sell into. So what gave you that confidence? What, I guess two questions. One, how did you have the guts to give that a go? And two, uh, you know, how, how did you go to market? How did you get those initial wins? Crazy, right? I mean, I think, um, and I think, uh, in, in retrospect, uh, you know, uh, in retrospect, you know, there's probably a little bit of naivety in there, but I think, you know, we certainly, um, you know, we, we grew a network pretty, pretty fast. I think the, you know, in the UK, a, a lot of how business works is, is similar to New Zealand. It's it's meeting people, it's that networking, uh, and you know, over the course of you know, Greg had a lot of contacts. Um, by then, he'd been there a couple of years uh, longer than me, um, and even just in my short time, you know, I was kind of working for about a year before before we kind of kicked off. Um, just the context you'd kind of grown in that insurance space. I mean, the good thing about the way that we started the company, you know, we, we bootstrapped the whole thing. So we basically, uh, we jumped from from working for someone to, to basically doing consulting, you know, professional services. Um, and it wasn't for a few years that until we actually kind of got the size and the scale to um, to kind of credibly launch a managed service practice. Um, so yeah, that's, that, that's kind of how we, that's kind of how we did it. What about, you know, buyers, buying behavior over there? Did you find that being a couple of Kiwis, who uh, again didn't have sort of deep roots into that particular community? Was there a reluctance to take a punt with you guys? Was there a, a perception that oh, I don't know they're not quite big enough? When everyone's operating at the scale you mentioned before, um, you know, was was that a difficult sell? And if so, how did you get around it? Uh, so I think that you know there's a very different thing selling a managed service proposition to professional services. You know, going in and being a consultant, it's all about buying you. It's about buying your technical capability and and the cred can kind of that you can kind of put across. Um, selling managed services is all about organisation and process and and your referenceability. Um, so yeah, so when we started, we we did professional services, and so uh, you know we're very good at. At, um, at you know that technical conversation, we've all been always you know we we, we grew kind of through that technical side of things, uh, and yeah, I mean that, that's how we did it. And of course, you know we kind of pulled a couple of customers along with us that that were kind of uh, from from previous uh, engagements and that, and just kind of just kind of grew it from there. Okay. And so, w- when was it that you made the leap from sort of focusing on those professional services, decided to maybe start uh, investing in the infrastructure, the people, to start playing in that managed services space? Terms, in terms of our foundation customers, so yeah, I mean, we, um, yeah, it's a bit of it's a bit of a crazy story, but we uh, we ended up uh, doing this huge data center migration for a big healthcare company, uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, it was kind of like a it was probably a good six to nine month type type thing, and, and it had a very kind of uh, the the end date was was set, the data center was shutting, and uh, and there, there was no no extensions possible, and so. Um, over the course of this project, we, um, you know, we we grew really good sort of uh, relationship with the with the kind of key stakeholders, um, and kind of over the course of um, course of a couple of months, they kind of trusted us so much that they sort of 
uh, we came to the sort of position where they said, well, you know, you've done such a great job of, 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 of helping us navigate this pretty complex and, and pretty time-sensitive um, situation. Um, you know, how do we continue an ongoing relationship with you? Uh, and so, you know, this is one of those crazy deals. And so they were, they were really our first managed service customer. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, uh, it, uh, there's still a customer today. Um, and yeah, we ended up, we ended up kind of converting them into a, um, into a managed service, um, customer, which was, which was a great story. When you think back to those times, like the, the startup stage, the, the lean, you know, kind of flying in any direction as it kind of took you, what's the overriding emotion that kind of comes to mind or, or feeling as you, as you think back to that time? I mean, it's lots of fun. Uh, but I think, I mean, it's quite interesting with, with what we're doing in New Zealand because, I mean, the, the problem in the UK, because we were bootstrapping the whole thing, you know, at the time and we were just, you know, we do some crazy hours and, you know, we didn't have any kids or any family back then. And, um, you know, it was, it was kind of all on us, you know, to, uh, to, um, to, you know, to go out and find work and deliver it and, and make sure that we could, we could pay ourselves and pay our staff and all that sort of stuff. Um, whereas now in New Zealand, it's kind of different. There's still the, there's still the excitement of it. Um, but we've kind of got this parachute of this big company in the UK, which, which, which can fund stuff, uh, which is a little bit different to, uh, to first time around in, uh, in the UK. And you've got Roman. Yeah, we've got Roman. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Makes it a lot easier. So <laughs> while all this was happening in the UK, Roman, were you, were you keeping tabs on kind of how they were progressing, how they were tracking? A little bit. I mean, uh, we just uh, caught up for a beer uh, when Marcus would, would come back to New Zealand or if I'd be in, in the States or in the UK, we'd, um, we'd always catch up. So uh, not, not uh, I suppose I wasn't keeping uh, intimate tabs on, on what was going on, but, you know, just a, 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 a passing interest. And, you know, the, the comments were made occasionally that if there ever was a desire to, to come back to New Zealand and um, and do the same thing here, then you know I, I'd be keen to, to have a look. So, so what made I guess your working relationship at OneNet all those years ago with with Marcus and Greg, you know, that special, that unique, that that there was that under underlying desire all that time to to, to get back into it? Because it was probably a, a similar stage for OneNet when we were you know, trawling eBay to find, you know, cheap servers to run things and, you know, all those sorts of things. I mean, that, that, that's the fun part of a, well, I think that that's the fun part is, is when you're, you know, winning deals that you're not supposed to and, and all that sort of stuff. That, that That's the interesting um, times and when you sort of got to muck in and, and get involved in all sorts of different areas because, you know, there's no one else and, and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, like, like Marcus said, doing it in New Zealand, um, now is um, is that really really nice mix where you're sort of you're this unknown company in New Zealand, but you've got this you know great organisation in the UK that's backing you. So it's it, it's almost the best of both worlds. On that, um, there's, there's a lot of questions coming to my head, but I'm going to go with this one first. So you're now going to be a company that's operating in the UK and NZ. I also saw on your site you've got a US number. What's the the US play? Is it just that you've got branch offices of key clients in the UK located over there? They need some ability to get in touch, or more than that? Uh, it's a long story. We, um, yeah, we went in elephant hunting for for a while. Uh, that, that's another whole story. We're not we're not even going to go there. Um, but uh, but anyway, the, the 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 long story of it is we've got a um we've got a a, a virtual presence in the US, um, and so um, it's actually come in really handy. It means we can, we can support, uh, us companies from a Microsoft CSP perspective. Uh, and, you know, obviously from a support capability as well, we've got our 24 by seven support capability now as well, although there's nobody actually in the U S. Um, 
but yeah, okay. that, that, that's that, that's the extent of our US operation. That's cool. But it, it, so if we sort of focus on the UK and NZ, obviously um, very different locations. Um, I know in, in my own day job with Lightwire, we've worked quite hard to try and come up with a geographically neutral brand, you know, with like .com, um, having a website that doesn't specifically talk about, you know, any particular place to the exclusion of others, a lot of uh, Australia, uh, yeah, Australasia, um, a lot of uh, trans-Tasman, that kind of wording. How are you guys going to work with a brand to kind of, um, you know, factor in your sort of New Zealand centricity or your UK centricity uh, without f- having either market feel excluded? Is it different different sites for different countries? Is it the one site adjusted? Uh, you look like you've already got the domain sorted with I think .dot tech, uh, the end of Virtuoso. Um, so yeah, run me through that from a marketing perspective. How do you how do you nail that inclusion piece? Yeah, so from a um, so from a web perspective, it's quite um, yeah. So I mean, our our domain name used to be um, virtuoso uk.com, which wasn't very uh, not not well, very thinking of us. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Um, and so we we ended up going through this kind of um, yeah, we bit of a bit of a migration alignment in terms of exactly getting to a point where that can be generic enough from a, from a web perspective. Um, we've also, over the last couple of years, spent quite a lot of time on um, SEO and search engine optimization. So obviously, you know, that's, that's pretty complicated in its own right, you know. And so where, we, where we've ended up, we basically, we actually have two sites. Uh, depends on, depending on where you're coming from, you, you end up at, at either one. Um, and there's a, effectively a version of every page on our website for, um, for, for, each, for each geography. And, then, and that enables it to play nicely from an SEO perspective as well. And I'm guessing uh, you're also, because of the way that you've, you've progressed, you're uniquely set for that whole 24-7 support piece, right? You've got uh, people everywhere. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, that's one of the, um, you know, and wh- whilst, it's, whilst it's more difficult because of the time zone to run, um, you know, an organization across those two ge- geographies, from a customer support and from a... Um, from a you know on the ground perspective, it's amazing because you know you've always got someone uh, in a time zone where they're sitting at a desk, you know, ready to answer a call um, and working in, in that time zone. And <clears throat> you know, it, there's this whole thing around having you know a lot of people when they do follow the sun, you know, they 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 kind of need three locations to kind of do it properly. But with New Zealand and the UK, because they're um, they're basically exactly opposite, um, we can get away with with just two. Cool. So I guess um, we've sort of talked about uh, you know the origin stories in the UK uh, and I guess how you structured that and how NZ is going to be different because you've got uh, the depth of resources now and, and, you know, it's not run on a shoestring. Are there any other sort of key, you know, whether they were things you did poorly and wish in retrospect you'd handled differently or things you did bloody well that you think would uh, be good to, to keep in mind as you go into NZ? Oh, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I mean, I think with 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 many businesses, uh, you know, in terms of that kind of growth that you see, uh, you know, when you start off things on a shoestring and you're kind of bootstrapping something, uh, you know, you kind of do whatever it's going to take to to bring money in. You know, we did all sorts of weird and wonderful consultancy stuff. Um, you know, back to that US thing, we tried to sell this crazy product. I mean, there's there's all sorts of stuff that you kind of go after, um, and then kind of I guess as you sort of mature as as business people and uh, as as um, as leaders. Uh, you know, focus is, focus is the key. You know, the, the more that you can just focus in on the thing, the one thing that you're really, really good at um, and kind of try and bat away all of the other distractions, um, you know, that, that's going to get you to your end game um, or, whatever, you know, not your end game, but, but whatever you're trying to achieve uh, a lot quicker. <clears throat> and I think that's definitely, uh, you know, what we're, what we're doing in New Zealand. Uh, you know, we've, we've, 
you know, in the UK, we've it's a, it's a really competitive market there. You know, I reckon London is probably one of the most competitive um, places from an MSP perspective. You know, and we've we've done it tough, and you know, starting an MSP from scratch, um, building up a track record. You know, just to give you a you know a view of the the scale, like we still come up against uh, you know in, in opportunities, we'll come up against MSPs that we've never heard of. You know, ten years in. Yeah, you know, it's insane. Um, and there's just the, just the sheer number of businesses that are there. And it's it's a tech hub um, of Europe and the world. You know, there are so many companies that have got um, their headquarters there, or at least, um, you know, they'll have a technology center of excellence in, in the UK. Um, and so, yeah, it's just a place that that a lot of stuff happens. You know, and it's a great it's a great place to be involved. I mean, I think it takes um, an organization, and you know, Virtuoso is no no different. It takes them a while to w- work out what they want to be. And how they want to be it, um, and so you know, Virtuoso has now worked out that they want to be a managed service provider, um, and and how do they want to be it? Well, they want to help organisations leverage the power of the Microsoft Cloud, and and, and that's their focus, right? Um, and you know, it was probably, you know, uh, there were a number of points in that journey where they could have been something completely differently, but you know, now we've worked out what we want to what we want to be and, and how we want to execute on that. So that's that's a that's a massive head start in terms of you know where we where we are in New Zealand. Yeah, I think um, there's there's huge power in saying no to things, right? Like everything can sort of seem uh, reasonably appealing if it's pitched in the right way, but ultimately, if you focus on everything, you achieve nothing. So um, it's been a lesson. I think we've been through it um, at lot where you guys have. I think ultimately every startup has you, you got to. You got to find your your, your place, um, but I guess a question for you, Roman. You've you've gone. What was your first role at OneNet? Because I know you ended up as GM. But what what you start off as? Uh, just uh, sales support. Okay, so sales support through GM. In that journey to get that clarity around strategy, around execution, what did you do professionally or personally in terms of upskilling to get your head around that strategy piece that you, I guess, now are going to take into your GM role with um, with Virtuoso and NZ. Uh, I mean, I think it's, it's just a journey. And, you know, like Marcus said, as a startup, um, you, because, you know, cash flow is king, um, you know, someone says we have a budget to do something and you go, great, we'll, we'll, we'll help you along the way. And I, and I, I just, you know, it, it's just the, the mature, the maturity of virtuoso, uh, enables us to have that clarity. Um, and, 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 you know, the, the financial backing means that we don't need to go chasing, um, you know, Things left, right, and centre. We've, we've sort of got um, our, our value proposition, uh, and we know what we do, and we're, we're really, really good at it. Um, and so we don't need to, you know, diverge off track or whatever it is. If, if someone has an opportunity where there's, you know, you know, they've got a budget, um, and we potentially could do it, um, you know, if we don't think it aligns with with what we're really, really good at and where we want to get to, then, then we don't need to go and chase it. So um, I think you know we've got that clarity of vision, um, which has come from you know virtuoso growing up over um, over ten years, um, and you know I, I completely agree. Right, have a have a um, uh, a small to do list um, and a big not to do list, um, and and virtuoso has arrived at that point, um, and, and and I completely agree. Cool. And so I get why New Zealand. Um, why now? Why during a pandemic? Uh, why in one of the most difficult times to find great staff uh, in a very difficult labour market? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's lots of good reasons for that. I, I mean, but one of the ironies is that Marcus came back to um, to avoid being in lockdown, where, where he'd uh, been for for eighteen months. Um, and uh, <laughs> yes, ironic indeed. 
Um, but, you know, I think, um, you know, you mentioned the war on talent. Well, we've got a really, really good uh, value proposition for talent. Um, so, you know, a, a big frustration of mine in a, in a former role um, was that we'd hire these awesome graduates um, and, and sort of train them up and stuff. And they got to 26, 27. Um, in fact, Marcus was one of them. And they'd say, um, we're, we're off overseas on our OE. And you go, okay, well, you know, we've lost that person. You can't, you know, you're not going to talk someone out of doing that, um, you know, sort of a, a rite of passage. Whereas, you know, uh, if either in the UK or in New Zealand, we had a, a staff member that, you know, said that, um, we'd go, great, go and work in the UK office or, or, or come and work in the New Zealand office. So um, in terms of a value proposition for, for talent, um, you know, no overtime. Um, so, you know, you don't have to get up at three in the morning um, and do that upgrade because we've got um, someone that's wide awake in the UK or wide awake in New Zealand that, c- that can do it. Um, you know, then there's the opening of the um, the Microsoft data centers um, here in New Zealand. Um, and we think that's going to be massive. Um, and, and Marcus can talk a little bit about their experience um, going through that when Microsoft put the data centers into the UK, I think, in 2016. Um, but, you know, for a, for an organization that's, you know, core focus is helping organizations, um, harness the power of Microsoft's cloud. Um, you know, having the data centers opening up at some time next year, um, we, we think the timing potentially couldn't be better. Sounds like a reasonable pitch to me. Um, Marcus, let's talk about that. So what did you see and what do you expect, uh, to see NNZ with that coming up? Yes. I mean, I think, you know, we, so that, that sort of happened end of, 2016, I think it was. Uh, and it was just like a real sort of aha moment for, for customers. You know, there was definitely adoption of cloud um, before that. You know, I mean, our, our customers sit in the, in the Microsoft ecosystem, right? You know, they, they, they're very heavily invested in, in Microsoft technology. Um, you know, a lot of them are sort of information workers. They all use the, the Microsoft Office productivity tools. Um, but up until that point, you know, even though um, cloud regions existed in Europe and, and all the rest of it in the UK, I think there was still this perception uh, that their data was offshore and that it was far away and that performance was not going to be very good. Um, and as soon as those data centers landed, there was just an explosion of adoption, uh, you know, um, for many for many, for many months and years before that, you know, we would be going in and people would be talking about doing data center refreshes and, you know, and, and all of the costs and complexity and, you know, you know, that, that, that came with, that came with those types of projects. Uh, and, and really were people vi- viably looking at cloud or public cloud as a, as a realistic alternative. Um, and the UK, I don't think they really were um, until uh, onshore data centers came. And when that happened, uh, that became the default choice. You know, you'd be you'd be really having to convince people, um, and and we weren't, of course, <laughs> but but you know, it was you'd be convincing them the other way. You'd be convincing them um, there'd have to be a very 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 good reason, you know, either from a data sovereign like a data security or some organizational reason why they'd actually be deploying infrastructure. Um, and you know, it's interesting. We we look, you know, we we focus on the on the small business space, um, and again, you know, that's different. Uh, in the UK as well, yeah, but, you, know, say, you think different. about even, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, you know, a mid market in, in New Zealand is, um, I think, still small, um, small business in the UK. Um, the conversations that we're having with customers, most of them have still got on premise infrastructure in the UK that they just don't, you know. Um, in New Zealand, they'll look at three six five and they go, "Yep, we've got some email in three six five. That's about it." In the UK, they don't have any. They don't have any server infrastructure. They might have some VMs left mm-hmm. running in Asia. Um, but they've pretty much moved most of their stuff to to true SaaS, um, or they're in the process of it. And so I think there's 
um, there's definitely a, a maturity difference across the geographies. And I think that the, um, you know, as soon as those uh, data centers open the, 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 their doors in, in, uh, in New Zealand, it's, it's going to be huge. Yeah. Even the connectivity piece, right? Like um, your express uh, routes, your direct connects, those kind of things. Um, the, the price, the, the flexibility and the ways that you can connect directly into those environments um, once they're unsure, just... Um, it's, it's just a perception thing. It's not even, a, you know, you can tell people it's, you know, a 30 millisecond round trip time or whatever. It's in Sydney and they don't want it to be in Sydney. They want it to be in Auckland or they want it to be in New Zealand. And it, regardless of technically if it works and da-da-da, that's fine. Um, it doesn't matter. It's You're not having a technical conversation. Their perception is they want it in New Zealand. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I think uh, another thing I was keen to get my head around is just on that sort of UK versus NZ piece. What's connectivity like in the UK? For your average business, is it... Um, more like Australia where it's awful or is it like New Zealand where it's pretty great? I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty good. Um, oh, even, even the consumer, um, internet is, is amazing compared to, compared to New Zealand. Um, so, and you know, there's a lot of, you know, I guess in, in Europe, there's kind of like London and, and Amsterdam are the kind of two like data center hubs as well. So there's, yeah, there's, there's, there's really good connectivity uh, in place. Are people typically using your know, fiber to the premise or 5g or what's the, the typical res sort of play? Uh, yeah, fi- fiber to the premise is, is is pretty standard. Okay. Brendan, exploring business opportunities. Ooh, no, Australia and New Zealand are, are more than enough. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I have not got the the mental bandwidth for that uh, for for any more. But okay, cool. So, um, what is the labor market like for you guys if you compare the two countries? Are you seeing the same thing that we've seen in NZ with you know just uh, skilled labor shortage with the borders shut. Is that the same experience in, in the UK or is it more open and, and free flowing there? So I think labor is difficult anywhere, to be honest. Getting good people is the, is the key to, 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 these, to these businesses. Um, and so, you know, it takes a lot more than just, you know, putting a job out and kind of hoping for the best. You've got to have, you know, you've got to have the right vision. You've got to have, have the right strategy. You know, people have got to be, you've got to be able to articulate it and people have got to be able to um, be bought into it. Um, and then you want people to be with you for the long term. So you need to make sure that you continue to do that stuff and keep people engaged and make sure that they've got progression and, and all of that stuff. Really interesting, you know, we, um, because of course now, you know, we've, we've got staff in New Zealand, we've got staff in the UK. Um, New Zealand's an incredibly difficult place to, to, to hire, to find and, and hire good talent. I mean, we have a really good story um, and, and we have found um, some great staff actually, um, but it's been hard, you know, a lot harder in um, a lot harder in New Zealand um, than in the UK, um, and staff in New Zealand are more expensive because they're they're more in demand. So, you know, we do a lot in the UK, and, and this has always been not an issue, but it's been something that we've got to continually work at. Work at. Um, we've got a really solid apprenticeship program, um, you know, that that we're going to try and um, replicate in in New Zealand. Um, you know, because if we can grow, if we can grow people, um, you know, from the, the beginning of their careers. Um, and hold on to them. You know that's you know that's just a fantastic thing to do, both for us and 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 for the community as well. So, um, yeah, there's a whole bunch of initiatives that we want to do. But I guess you know at a high level, yeah, it's, it's tough, and and it's 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 really tough in New Zealand. I think um, though one of the one of the cool things about um, working with uh, Marcus and, and Greg, who um, obviously have spent the last ten years in the UK. Um, is that they've, they've definitely learned some lessons around managing a, a remote team. Um, you know, they were in, in lockdown for, you know, literally 18 months. And so when it came to hire people here in New Zealand, um, you know, when we had applicants from, you know, Hamilton and Palmerston North and, and those sorts of things, 
um, they Marcus and Greg were totally happy to um, to have a look at them. Whereas you know I probably would have been like, oh, if they're not in Auckland, you know, I'm not so sure. Um, and and you know, as it happens, we've um, you know two of our our first uh, engineers that we hired uh, aren't based in Auckland, and um, you know we we obviously haven't had a face to face meeting yet. Um, and so um, certainly there's, there's some um, some things that um, we've well I've learned from um, the sort of the, the learnings that Marcus and Greg have had from from managing a remote team over the past you know eighteen months in the UK. Yeah, look, I mean our our office shut and you know like like everyone back in when was it March. 2020 um it's open now but we're only just starting to get people to come back you know they've had such a long time where um that just became the norm and i think that's quite different to to new zealand you know because the 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 original lockdowns in new zealand were only five or six weeks or something like that maybe a little bit longer um you know that's not really long enough for that behavior to change but in the uk literally you know people have literally just that this has become the, the 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 normal um, and trying to to try and then get people back into the office and and try and figure out how this kind of hybrid working thing is is going to work. You know, we're not. I mean, you watch the news here and you think everything's gone back to normal in the UK, but you know the reality is it's it's not. You know, we're still we're still very much um, in the midst of working that stuff out. Um, but certainly that experience, as Roman says, has given us a really good sort of um, perspective in terms of you know what that future world will look like and and how remote working um, will play a role in 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 our story. And so. Yeah, it's been an interesting time, and you know we're definitely not there yet. What's the um, what's the vibe over there in in the UK? Are you finding the, the team are pretty pretty pumped about getting back into the office, or are they they've really adjusted to a new way of working and they're keen to continue with that? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that there is there is positivity, um, but I think there's hesitance as well. You know, not not just about office working, about you know getting back into um, you know going to stadiums and going to pubs and stuff like that. Um, they really ripped the bandaid off in terms of, you know, the UK is a, a really special case. Um, but I think, you know, who knows what's going to happen. Winter's coming and, you know, potentially there's, there's lockdowns on the horizon again. So um, we'll just have to wait and see. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a very tricky situation to, to navigate. I remember um, going back a lot of years to a different role now, but um, one of the best hires uh, I ever made um, was a guy called Ruckman and shout out to Ruckman. That guy's great. Still work with him now. He's over with us at Lightwire, but um, actually he moved from New Zealand to Australia recently as well. So he's only up the road, hundred Ks or so. Uh, but he um, was actually based in Oman, I think at the time uh, with his family, um, having worked there for a while from Indonesia. And I actually, back in the day I was using Skype, I think and I interviewed him via Skype and, um, and then had one of our team um, run him through some sort of remote technical um tasks and he absolutely nailed those and he moved to New Zealand sight unseen um, uh, for about six months for his family moved over with him and um, has just been the most uh, incredible hire ever. So I, I think at the time that was a massive outlier, but from what you guys are describing now, I think it's fair to say it's very much sort of standardized half of the course almost um, just because what we've all got used to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, most of, um, in fact, I don't think I'm not 100% sure, maybe recently, but up until, you know, very recently, you know, since March 2020, all of our hires were remote hmm. in the UK. So that's just, that's just the way that it is. Yeah. You know, we're, and we're quite comfortable with it. It's crazy. Yeah. Things have changed so um, much. Well, yeah. I mean, they have, right? I, uh, speaking of uh, past hires or, or levers, um, I, I think uh, Matthew Chair, who I think works for 
um, Lightwire now, right? Yep. So he used to live in Auckland and his family's from around the Waikato and uh, he used to work for us at OneNet. And uh, he said, look, you know, uh, you know, want to move down to Hamilton? And we're like, well, you know, you really have to be up here um, at least three days a week for that to work. And I remember him being on his motorbike and coming up yeah. to Auckland and all that. You know, I mean, now, you know, that you just go, for, you know, you're a great employee and, and we're happy to have you working remotely. Um, but, you know, I don't know, that must have been 10 years ago or yeah. something like that. You know, Very that different thinking back case. then. So, yeah, because he, he went to um, yeah. Datacom, I think, wasn't he? After you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Datacom and then uh, Department of Health or something like that. Yeah. Um, and, and then to you guys or something like that. Yeah. Anyway. He's awesome. Yeah, he's in Hamilton. But uh, again, yeah, working from home a lot. And when he's when he's not, he's in the office. But yeah, great dude. Shout out to Matt as well. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Uh, apparently, I like saying shout out. It's a thing I've done twice now. Anyway, <laughs> um, the other thing I was going to say is, uh, in NZ, you know, you mentioned before that in the UK, you keep coming up against people, uh, people, um, entities uh, who, you know, you've never heard of before, but you've been there for 10 years. But in NZ, I'd suggest, especially you, Roman, you'd know them all. Uh, you've been, you know, in that market for forever. Um, what is it, and this might be putting you on the spot, but what problem are you uniquely better positioned to solve than these other players that you know of in the market? You know, what is it that you go into the market for those 20 to 300 seed organizations that you can go, uh, we've got this, and here's why we've got it. Oh, gee, I don't know. We better come up with something. <laughs> uh, no, that's that, that's not true. Um, so uh, I think uh, I think what's happened is it's similar to uh, you know accountancy firms and, and those sorts of things. So you know, back in the day, you went to an accountant, and they um, you know they balanced the numbers and all that sort of thing, and they you know had the two columns and they worked out everything and all those sorts of things. You know, now all of that is automated with technology. Um, and so an accountant has become more like a business advisor, you know, from a, a finance point of view. Um, and, and certainly, you know, if you think about a managed service provider, well, you know, the nuts and bolts of installing an exchange server or a SQL server, all those things, well, they're sort of gone, right? Everyone's sort of using the same tools. Everything's on Office 365 and, and that sort of thing. So I think really, um, you know, it's about helping an organization um, harness technology to improve their business and whether that's you know, around um, helping them, you know, choose a particular application or whether it's around helping them, you know, harness the power of data to um, gain insights or make better decisions or whatever that might be. Um, that's certainly what we think um, is the value proposition that we offer. So rather than focusing on the technology, sure, we use Microsoft. Um, you know, we could just as easily use AWS. We, we don't. We use Microsoft. Um, but we think that's less important than sort of what you do with it. So, um, you know, I think in New Zealand, there's still lots of MSPs that focus on the technology side of things. Um, you know, we've chosen this antivirus because it's the absolute best and, you know, okay, yeah, that's fine. Um, but how are you actually going to help an organization leverage all these amazing tools that are available now? Um, you know, you think about BI, well, you know, in the past you needed, you know, a team of people and all that sort of thing and, you know, a specialized software person to do the reports and all that sort of thing. And you look at something like Power BI, um, you know, that's just democratized um, business intelligence. Um, and, and there's all these amazing tools, you know, even if you think about Office 365, there's all these amazing tools within Office 365. Most organizations probably, you know, harness the power of, you know, 20% of them or 30% of them. Um, so, yeah, we, th we think it's about um, uh, tapping that potential um, that, that resides and, and often resides in, in the tools that um, organizations are already paying for. So, yeah, less about the technology and more about um, using the technology to enable businesses. And, and maximizing an investment by the sounds of it that they've already made without understanding how much more they can get from it. Um, so Exactly right. Yeah. I think also sometimes people... Um, I think it's easy to overthink that whole special source, you know, unique capability piece. I think sometimes 
it's as simple as doing what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it. You know, accurate and fast information, just being decent people and being as good as you would. I, I think, honestly, that's in my experience um, in in industries like yours, like mine, where where that um, that engagement piece can be the difference. Um, that that honestly can be all it takes because often the, the technology, as you said, is the technology, but it's it's the service wrapped around it um, that can really make the difference. As cheesy as it sounds, I know it sounds totally. like a, a, a cliche. No, 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 but- no. I uh- no, it's <laughs> totally, it's, it's totally right. And you know, I think I think about the number of customers that, or the number of customers that we, you know, that we that we have won, where the number one reason why they're talking to us isn't anything to do with the technology. It's just that they've had a bad customer support mm. experience. You know, and, and I think that's honestly is 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 one of the hardest parts of um of what we've done is is genuinely building a business. And a culture of people that care, um, you know, um, that care about the outcomes for the end customer and about those interactions, and and you know, with every single interaction, making sure that's an opportunity to, you know, really delight, delight, delight them, and 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 yeah, the, particularly in the UK, you know, we we've found, you know, well, what makes you different? You know, you can't say amazing service because well, but actually, it's a huge differentiator, you know, and and. Uh, it just takes one bad ticket, you know, and you can lose a customer. So, so two questions on that then. One, how do you how do you quantify how you're tracking on that that key metric, which is essentially what it is that that, that customer experience or customer satisfaction piece? Uh, and two, I mean, how do you make sure that your team gives a shit, and and how do you know that they do? You know, like, um, so yeah, those are my two questions. Yeah. So on the first one, I mean, you know, we've got as you can imagine, as an MSP, we've got all the all the tools under the you know under the sun. Um, and you know a big part of that is is measuring um, customer satisfaction. So of course we do all of the, you know, all of the um, net promoter ticket score. based C, CSAT stuff, and and that happens on every single interaction. We also have yep net promoter score. So every quarter we do an NPS survey on across our entire customer base. Hey, you reckon? Um, and that's you know they're kind of a yeah, not too bad. I think we're we've high fifties last good. um. Last quarter, which is actually pretty hard. I mean, the thing is, and lot, lots of companies fluff it. The key thing to these are actually um, are your response rates. You know, if you've, you've only got, if if you don't have a high enough sample size, um, you know, you, you can make any data look kind of right. So yeah, we're kind of high fifties on NPS, um, and on CSAT, you know, we uh, we're, we're 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 pretty good. I think from an industry perspective, you know, we're we're often in the in the nineties or, or very high eighties, um, which which is pretty good. You know, and again, the bigger the sample size, <laughs> the, the the harder it becomes. I read something the other day that I wish I could um, you know footnote and give credit to, but I'm not sure I ever find it again. But um, it was saying that um, you know when trying to um, set KPIs, you, know, you don't want to be say, sort of saying setting metrics that that lead to unintended consequences. But if you set a, a, a key um, yeah, key performance indicator being, um, uh, or a key focus being uh, the relationship that you establish with your customers. If each person is focused relentlessly on having a strong relationship with their end user or the person they're interacting with, then they're going to care about the experience, which means that the customer, you know, sees value that you can derive a pricing premium based on the value you're providing. It all comes from caring about that that relationship um, that with the person you're interacting with or wanting a, a relationship with them. Um, does that apply? Do you think to, to the MSP space? Is that something you guys um, would see working as a as a focus, or is that something you already do? Um, so we don't set any specific metrics. Yeah, it's a question that's got me thinking. Oh, it's difficult to measure uh, as well, right? Um, 
yeah, it's difficult to measure. I mean, one thing that's, uh, I think one thing that goes a, a long way to sort of uh, helping with the engagement that you have with customers is just picking up the phone, right? There's so much communication these days that happens um, via email and, you know, chat and all those sorts of things. Um, you know, you, you'd be amazing that the, uh, you know, the, the picking up the phone, um, you know, what a transformational impact that can have on your relationships with customers because you... Um, so many people don't want to do it. So many people just do not want to pick up the phone. Exactly right. Yep, yep, exactly right. And um, yeah, I, I think you just get a, a whole a whole bit of nuance um, from your customers in terms of, as opposed to someone hitting a negative um, satisfaction or positive satisfaction or whatever it is, um, you can you can drive um, into detail so much more. Um, and, and so certainly that's that's one thing that we um, we definitely encourage is um, people picking up the phone um, to to actually talk to our customers. Yeah, I love it. And I think, um, but for me, you know, again, if you're taking the time to do that, then you do care about the relationship. And yeah, and and if you, yeah, again, if you care about the relationship, for me, that drives customer experience. Customer experience determines everything in terms of how the brand's mm-hmm. perceived. With Lightwire, every service is a managed service. 24-7 monitoring, alerting, and support come as standard. And our customer portal gives the kind of real-time, data-driven insights MSPs need in order to create great end-user experiences. In short, we're built to make you look good. So check us out at lightwirebusiness.com. So uh, I guess you've gone from nine, in, in the space of nine years, nine years, 10 years, I guess. Yeah, 10 years. I saw you celebrate your 10th birthday recently, sorry, on your website. Congrats. Yeah. Uh, the uh, the scale's gone from two founders to 60 staff, two countries. Uh, let's say, I won't make you look ahead 10 years, but let's say five years. Um, what's the the goal? What's the... You know, what does the inspiration board tell you that you're aiming towards? We do. We do actually have a ten year. Oh, sorry, we no, actually have a ten year. Thing. Hold you back. Go for it. What's, what's ten years going to look like? Um, which is which is which is quite funny. I mean, one of the one of the things. So, so we're we're a traction company. I don't know if you've heard of the entrepreneurial operating system. I haven't. Please enlighten um, me. But that's definitely. Oh, it's just basically. It's just look it up on the internet. Basically, it's a um, it's a framework for running a for running a business, and it was probably one of the first. Um, that was a huge step in maturity for us um, uh, in terms of us going. And we actually got a professional implementer and 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 one of and, and a bunch of these key key things, you know, in terms of vision and values and all that sort of stuff is is um has come from traction. So a lot of these questions you go, oh, yeah, thanks traction, got got that sorted. That's awesome. I was actually going to ask. Uh, sorry, I should have asked the question. I was going to ask if there was a particular business model or um, framework that you work to, and obviously the answer is yes, and it's this one. Um, we mm-hmm. use um, very much the scaling up model um, ourselves, but I imagine there's probably a little bit of crossover in various parts. Yeah, I mean, Traction's, I mean, to be honest, there's nothing unique in it. Basically, this guy, Gino Wickman, he wrote this book. He's written a couple of books, but the main one is called Traction. Um, and we actually, all of our new customers, uh, we we send them a copy of the book as part of their, part of their onboarding. I mean, it's just... I guess the the way to think about it is, you know, for us, you know, there's so many things in, in business where, you know, before we kind of implement attraction, um, you know, you're just going, we're we're talking about the 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 how we run a meeting, the how we communicate, and, and with traction, you just go, well, that's just sorted. Just follow that, um, and actually think about um, the actual business um, and the strategic stuff that we should be thinking of. Yeah, a classic one is. You know, you think about how unproductive internal meetings are because no one really knows how it's going to go. No one really knows what they should have when they're there. Uh, no one really knows how it's going to end and all that sort of thing. Whereas with traction, you know exactly how the meeting's going to go. You know what's expected of you. You know the questions that are going to get asked of you. Um, yeah, it's all laid out. So it's, it's none of the sort of, you know, figuring it out as you're in the meeting, you know, oh, what do we do next? That's all laid out. So you can just get on with 
solving the issue or you know working on the um, on the new solution or whatever it is without worrying about how the meeting's going to be run and you know oh, what questions are they going to ask of me. That's awesome. And I love that you send that book to new clients, which is basically going, Hey, here's how we operate. Here's the things that we value. Um, this is almost a get to know us and how we operate kind of, uh, guidebook. So, um, yeah. how long have you been doing that for? And what else do you send along with that? If anything, donuts, how long have we been sending out that book for? Yeah, but don't tell anybody <laughs> in case any of our customers are supposed to be a surprise. Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> they, um, yeah, we see, uh, we, 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 traction, I think is probably 2017 kind of ish. We did it. And then we've, so we've, we've, we've just coming up to our three year cycle. Um, so yeah. And, and we've been doing that for a couple of years, uh, and it's, and it's great. Um, and then, you know, we put our, our implementers card in the top as well. So it's a bit of a, bit of a referral for him as well. Nice. Um, so yeah, and we send donuts to our customers yeah, as cool. well. Surprise on their first day. Nice. So traction yeah. and donuts, two truly transformational traction things. <laughs> yeah. One for the better, one maybe yeah. not so much, but yes, you <laughs> yeah. know, it's all about moderation. It's fine. All right, cool. Um, so I guess, is there anything else, I guess, from your journey, um, in the UK or NZ to date that, that you'd like to share anything that you think, um, I guess anybody else who's, um, maybe going through a similar journey in, in Australia or New Zealand, um, would take, you know, um, some some guidance from or could learn from or anybody i guess in any business really i mean i think that's the thing with some of these startup stories they're not industry specific a lot of the time i think just start up just get going (laughs) yeah (laughs) yep yeah just do it i mean i think it's such a it's such an uh it's, it's such a great space to be in you know things change you know and there's just opportunities that just that just crop up everywhere and i think you know, it's interesting. I, I think you were saying earlier. You know, you've you've gone from this huge market to this this much smaller market in New Zealand. You know, even in New Zealand, we see so much so much opportunity um, for good providers to help custom to help to help customers with with technology because, you know, the digital is the lifeblood of business these days. You know, and if we can if we can help customers get that right, um, you know, that's going to make New Zealand businesses more competitive. That's going to make um, New Zealand more competitive as as a nation. And so. You know, there's plenty of space for for people to come in and and do this work, um, and yeah, yeah, it's an exciting exciting future. Definitely. I got one last question to end on, Roman. Is for you. I just um, you obviously had a, a hell of a stint at OneNet. Um, you did great things there. You ended up running the ship uh, from an operational perspective as GM. Uh, you get the call, or, or you you sort of had your next in a series of conversations with Marcus about this New Zealand gig. Uh, did the timing make you? think long and hard about it or is it always not nah, we can make this work doesn't really matter well with you know uh pandemic or no pandemic uh i'm in we can make it work cool nice love your your certainty uh, i'm not sure i'd be in the same boat maybe i'm more of a glass half empty guy who knows but that's great ask me ask me in a year's time but no no it's <laughs> uh you know, having uh, worked, it's different. Um, I think if it's a if it's a mate of yours who says, you know, let's go into business. You know, we get along well and blah blah blah. Um, it, I think it's different if you work with the person before. Mm. Um, and you know, having worked with both Greg and Marcus um, before, yeah, absolutely no hesitation. Nice. I'll oh, good on you. I hope it goes really well. I'm going to look forward to seeing what you guys do in NZ and the UK. Um, Thanks heaps for, for coming on. Um, it's been a really interesting chat. I feel like we've got my head around what you guys are doing and where you go. I think the only thing I didn't hold you to account on there, Marcus, is that 10-year plan. Where does it get you to? Oh, 16,000 happy managed users. 16,000. So we're, um, 
So we're we're about three and a half at the moment. Cool. So how about we uh, we check in again with each other uh, in uh, a year or so, and we see how you're tracking. At that point, my math sucks, but I imagine you should be at least four and a half, roughly. Sounds good. Good. Good on you. All right. Thanks again, guys. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk. Thanks. Appreciate it. Cool. Thanks, Brendan. Cheers, guys. And that's it for this episode of Insights as a Service. Thanks for joining us. As always, if you've got any ideas or suggestions or just want to get in touch, Brendan at insightsasaservice.fm or you can hit me up on LinkedIn. We'll see you again for our next episode, which will be the last of the year when Nick Phillips joins me to go through news and opinions. 